0: What you're about to listen to is an interview conducted in 1995 between Next Generation Magazine and Tom Kalinske, the CEO at Sega of America, for most of the 1990s. He's best known for his aggressive advertising strategy, which included jabs at the competition and the famous Sega Scream. What's more, he did the impossible, he led Sega to a number of victories against the 800 pound gorilla in the room, Nintendo. Fresh off the success of the Genesis, Tom was excited to sit down with Next Generation and talk about the future of the Saturn and Sega 32X. As you can imagine, Sega's CEO painted a rosy, if not delusional, vision of the future. In this interview, he talks about his thoughts on the PlayStation, why the 32X will be a huge success and why video games are going to become less violent any day now. Trust me, this is just the start of one of the craziest interviews ever published. Unfortunately, Next Generation closed up shop in 2002, and none of the audio of this interview exists online. But we at Defunct Games feel that it's vitally important to preserve these interviews. That way, future generations can learn from our past mistakes. For today's episode, I'll be playing the part of Next Generation magazine. Tom Kalinske will be played by Mark McAvoy, a friend of Defunct Games and host of Super Gamer Podcast. Believe it or not, the following is a real interview that was actually published in a national magazine. Please enjoy this special look back at one of the greatest interviews in video game history. Just as Sega Japan rolled out Saturn, Sega USA put all of its resources behind the launch of the 32X instead. Does this betray any lack of faith you may have in the Saturn as a product? No, no, I love
1: Saturn. For me, it's a magnificent product. It just all comes down to price, and right now it's not a mass market item. Now, I was in Japan for the launch of Saturn, And it was selling out just as fast as it was arriving in stores. I'm amazed at how they managed to sell so many of these machines at what are considerably very high prices. But the U.S. is a very different market than Japan. And we at Sega USA recognize the importance of proper pricing.
0: So U.S. Gamers got a 32X instead. As you know, Next Generation has its doubts about whether the 32X was a wise move. It stretches Sega's resources, it has to be a distraction to the U.S. launch of the Saturn, and in all honesty, it's not really that good. Can you further explain your thinking behind its launch?
1: Sure. One thing that people involved with publications don't appreciate, to the degree that we at Sega appreciate, is the price point importance to the mass market in this country. The U.S. has always been very, very price-driven, To sell huge units of anything, be it TVs, VCRs, cellular telephones, it doesn't matter what, the price must be right. Now, I can sit here and tell you today that no matter how great Saturn is or PlayStation is or Ultra 64 is, we will outsell them by an enormous amount with 32X, simply because of the price. The technology of 32X happens to be good, but the price point is so important in the U.S. market that how good it is really doesn't matter. We've got to have a product out there ...that the consumer can afford to buy in Walmart, Target, Sears, and all these other places... ...the thought, let's upgrade the 16-bit Genesis they already own to a 32-bit experience... ...was the most logical one to us. And
0: this is opposed to starting over with an entirely new machine.
1: Sure. Now, a year later, we'll have Neptune out, a combined 32X Genesis machine... ...which is a standalone system for new people coming into the market... ...or people who have owned an alternative system and want to come over... But again, the idea will be to keep the price point reasonable enough for 98% of Americans for whom price is important. And essentially, that's the real reason behind 32X.
0: So you're saying there's a price boundary above which something won't sell.
1: There's a huge boundary. In fact, there are several. The first magic price point is $300. If your product costs more than $300, then your market is very, very limited. Take audio CDs. You know, they never sold over $1 until they got below $300. The same is true for video game machines. That's why 3DO hasn't been successful. It goes in $100 blocks, so the next would be 199 and then after that, 99 And this is the current status of the 16-bit business, and it's a great place to be. Nintendo and ourselves are selling huge, huge numbers of units.
0: Would you presumably like to see 32X at a price point of under $100?
1: Sure, that would be great, but I don't think that's very realistic.
0: So when will the Saturn launch in the U.S.?
1: We haven't started yet. I mean, you know, we're in great shape for the launch. Virtua Fighter is a phenomenon in Japan, and over here too. I love the game. I actually have an arcade unit at home. And we'll be able to launch with both this and Daytona Racing, so we're in great shape. Having said that, as with the launch of 32X, where I wish we had more titles... I want to have 10 great titles at launch, and it's this that will determine Saturn's release date. I'm still assuming that it will be the latter half of 1995.
0: 32X, Genesis, Sega CD, 32X CD, plus Game Gear, plus Saturn, that's... I know. A lot. One of Sega's production managers for Sega CD told Next Generation that it's been very difficult to inspire teams to gear up their enthusiasm to work on Sega CD games when they could be playing with the sexy 32-bit stuff. Now, on one hand, you say that it's the 16-bit games that are the mass market and the main focus, but on the other hand, it looks like the development of the Sega CD is in severe danger of being sidelined. So are development resources being spread perilously thin? I don't
1: think so. As you know, we have expanded here since the creation of the Sega Technical Institute. We have more than 350 people. And although our main focus remains on Genesis, our people are evenly spread on all of the systems, at least now in the first quarter of 1995.
0: But there can only be one A-team. There can only be one best team. What platform are Sega's hotshots working on right now?
1: In Japan, the A-team is AM2, and they've been working on Virtua Fighter 2 and getting that done. They're also working on versions for Saturn and 32X. But in the U.S., I think we have... I hope, a number of A-teams, and one of our primary focuses has always been on sports, so we're looking at keeping a lot of attention on making the best sports games we can.
0: So, is Sega now a big enough company to do this type of multi-product business? Absolutely. Okay, but still, as a big successful company, the flip side of the coin is that Sega is no longer the underdog it once was isn't there the danger that the same conditions that made Nintendo vulnerable to a lean, hungry, fast-on-its-feet competitor four years ago would now make Sega vulnerable in 1995?
1: I still feel, and I think most of us here still feel, like an underdog. I don't know why I've never overcome the sensation that they're about to pounce on us at any moment, and we're up against bigger competitors, so how can we not be the underdog? We're up against Nintendo, which is a substantially bigger company and has much more cash in the bank. We're up against Sony, and God knows how much cash it has in the bank. So we have to keep feeling that we're the underdog and keep operating in that way. The bottom line is that the two things we do very well are make great games and then market them very successfully. If we can continue to do this, and we will, then we can compete with these guys.
0: What is your opinion on your competition? What do you think are the strengths and weaknesses of those offering rival systems? To start with, let's talk about 3DO as an example.
1: I've been very consistent on this subject. While I happen to like Trip Hawkins very much as a person, I don't think the 3DO strategy has worked, and I don't believe he will ultimately be successful. Everyone recognizes the sales of under 100,000 units in the U.S. as a failure. I've heard that he sold 150000 in Japan, but I've also heard that since both Sony's machine and Saturn are out, sales of 3DO have stopped dead. Since last weekend when I was in Japan, the 3DO machines have moved to the back corners of the shop, they're not on prominent display any longer, and I think this is an accurate indication of the unit's new status. It simply doesn't compete with the new machines.
0: So you believe, in Japan at least, 3DO's window of opportunity has just slammed shut.
1: Yep. It's now passed by.
0: And how about Atari Jaguar?
1: I don't believe the current Jaguar is powerful enough to compete with the new machines, and there's not enough great software out there to support it. Recently, Atari has done a better job of getting some decent games out, but it's not enough to save it. It's too little too late.
0: Yeah, we all hope so. What about Sony?
1: I don't know anything of Sony's US plans. The company certainly isn't confiding in me what it has up its sleeves. I've heard a lot of different rumors, and of course, I respect Sony for what it is, a very strong, big, high-tech electronics company. But Sony has failed a few times with consumer products. We all remember beta, and so we're all hoping that PlayStation turns out to be another beta, and that in a couple of years' time, together, we'll be able to tell people to play their Saturns on a Sony TV.
0: The beta analogy is mischievous. Because Beta was actually technologically superior to the VHS system, which overtook it.
1: Yes, it was, but it wasn't successful.
0: You'd rather be successful than superior. Mmm, I'd like to be both. Last, but not least, how are you faring right now in your battle with your old rival Nintendo? Who?
1: (laughs) The current battle is being fought between Genesis and SNES for 16-bit superiority, And we're still beating it in share of market, and there's nothing it could have done to overtake us this year. Nintendo did a good job, and I must give it credit, on Donkey Kong Country, and the company did a great marketing job. But even with that, we will outsell them on both hardware and software this year. It did have one good title, though.
0: And what about Ultra 64?
1: In terms of Ultra 64, I just don't believe in the long-term health of a high-priced, cartridge-based business. I think that at some point, you have to convert to CD-ROM. I know they claim they have wonderful compression schemes, but we have these too. Everyone has wonderful compression schemes. The bottom line is that you end up with these high megabyte cartridges that cost a vast amount of money. The price ends up to be too much to the consumer, and the revenue ends up too small for the third-party manufacturer or, indeed, the parent company itself. So I think that Nintendo's current strategy for Ultra 64 is incorrect and may, in fact, be subterfuge. Maybe they're really planning on bringing out a CD drive for Ultra 64, and that will bring the price of Ultra 64 up to the same price as everyone else's machines. The other problem is, of course, how are you ever meant to do more than what you're doing today on cartridges if you don't move to CD? How do you ever really incorporate the wonderful things that you can do with film, Special Graphics and Silicon Graphics computers if you don't move to CD-ROM.
0: Eternal Champion CD is certain to be the most graphically violent home video game ever, but its release is absolved by the fact that it carries an MA-17 rating. Do you think that the efforts of Senator Lieberman and others, in fact, backfired? And these unenforceable ratings simply legitimize and increase in the amount of video game violence?
1: I don't think so at all. I think that the level of violence is probably less because a lot of people got scared off when this investigation and the negative publicity around it was occurring. On the other hand, what is legitimized was the recognition that this is a very wide audience, people have different tastes, and as an industry, we should be allowed to produce games for it.
0: But you guys are smart marketing men. You know full well that there's nothing sexier to a teenager than an adults-only label on the box. Kids are still playing these games. Am I right? To some degree. When I was a
1: teenager, I remember trying to sneak into movies my parents didn't want me to see, and I wasn't successful all the time. But when you're talking about a purchase of $50 or more, then most of the time the parent has a hand in the decision for the younger child. Therefore, the ratings, as a means of providing reliable information for the parent, are a useful thing. It's as important for our industry as it is for the movie industry.
0: So, how else is SEGA going to expand the video game market? Almost every male teenager in the country is a player. But if your business is to continue growing when you need to attract a wider audience, how are you going to do this?
1: Yesterday, I looked at the first commercial we've specifically targeted at women. It goes into advertising research this weekend, and we hope to have it on the air in early 1995. But you're right. We have to find a way to get women playing video games. And obviously there are a number of problems that you have to overcome. First, for a lot of women, playing against a male is very intimidating. You know the guy is going to beat the hell out of you and you won't stand a chance. Second, we have to provide gaming experiences that are more enjoyable for women. Now, 25% of the players on the Sega channel during our tests were women which is significantly higher than the percentages of ordinary home systems in which there were just between 15 and 20% women. What that said to us is something that we've known all along. Women and girls want to play video games, but there's something intimidating about the current experience that doesn't encourage them. There's a big opportunity there. We're targeting the older market quite well already. We think the key is sports, and we figure that the more realistic we make them, the wider their appeal will spread to an older and older audience.
0: To what extent will the Sega Saturn be targeted to these newcomers?
1: Although the majority of our sales will initially be to experienced gamers, we expect Saturn to attract an older audience. I wouldn't be surprised if everyone was over 18.
0: Because they've got all the cash. Absolutely. Despite Tom being adamant that the Sega 32X would outsell the Saturn and PlayStation by an enormous amount, that certainly didn't end up being the case. The PlayStation sold over 100 million units and spawned three more systems and two handhelds. The 32X, on the other hand, sold less than a million units before being discontinued. The Saturn did have slightly better luck than the Genesis add-on, but not enough to keep the 32 bitter afloat against the PlayStation and Nintendo 64. Sega eventually pulled the plug, and the Saturn sold fewer than 10 million units. Tom Kalinske left the company before the release of the Dreamcast, Sega's final console. Although he won't admit it, it's clear that the development teams were stretched too thin, negatively impacting the quality of the games. This not only hurt the Genesis, Game Gear, Sega CD, and 32X, but also the Saturn. You can only wonder what would have happened if Sega had decided to focus all of its attention on just one console. Perhaps then, and only then, would Tom Kolinsky have been right. We would like to thank Tom for sitting down with Next Generation Magazine. Without Next Generation and Tom, this interview reenactment wouldn't have been possible. I would also like to thank Mark McAvoy for his excellent voice work. Make sure and check out his podcast at supergamerpodcast.com. There's an episode with me on it that may or may not be worth listening to. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Interview Reenactment Theater. And make sure and tune in next week for another episode starring a delusional industry figure. Trust me, you won't want to miss it.